Hello and welcome to the Third Sector Podcast. I'm Russell Hargreave, Senior News Reporter. And I'm Andy Ricketts, News Editor of Third Sector, the UK's leading publication for the voluntary and not-for-profit sector. Each week, we sit down for a quick-fire conversation about the interesting or unusual goings-on in the charity world. And this week, we're talking to Holly Riley, Head of Strategic Policy at the Charity Commission, and Julie Dennis, Head of Diversity and Inclusion at the Conciliation Service ACAS, about how the regulator will respond to incidents of bullying and harassment in charities. What this means, of course, is a chance to talk about policy, all the big changes we want to see in the world. You love a bit of policy, don't you? Well, I like to think that if I wasn't doing this, I could just sit talking about kind of wonk land with with anyone who would be willing to listen to me. I am not your man, I'm afraid, Well, you say, you say this, but if you were going to be in charge, say you were Prime Minister for the day. Oh, yeah. Andy, you've finally been elevated to the role that you were born to. The big seat. And you can make a couple of changes on your first day, things you've always dreamed of. Yeah. So what are the two big things that would mark, you know, the beginning of the Andy Ricketts era? <sighs> that is a big question. I assume you're asking in a jovial way, so you're not expecting me to say world peace and and into poverty and all those well, obvious you always, things. Which you always say that you don't do. care about world peace, so I presume that it was not necessary. You can enough of that. I think the first thing I would do clearly is, well... Maybe I'm normally regarded as a bit of a mild-mannered person, but as soon as I get behind the wheel of a car, I'm less mild-mannered, mm. maybe like many of the other population. And uh, there are a few driving-type things, but the really thing that annoys me is people who drive unnecessarily in the middle lane on the motorway. <laughs> I think what I'd want is to have all cars installed with a little device that if you're driving unnecessarily in the centre lane, it will a little voice will pop up and say, move left. Move left. So as Prime Minister, that could be your voice as well. It exactly. could be, this is, this is your great leader, Road Rage Ricketts. Get over. Move. It was, a minute ago it was move left and now it's get over. It's, you're already getting angry about it. Okay, so you've made that change and everyone already wants to vote you out. What's, what's the other thing? <laughs> I think the other thing is ban vinegar. Right, okay, dealing with all the big issues. <laughs> I'm good. getting rid of the big stuff. Vinegar is possibly the most abhorrent substance known to man, I would say. <laughs> I mean, it stinks for a start. Anyone who puts it on chips, I can't bear it. My wife loves it. She piles it on. She can't get enough of the stuff. And then Worcester sauce. It's even, oh, my days. I think Worcester sauce. I mean, nothing against the people of the great city of Worcester, obviously. It's a <laughs> marvellous place. But the, the sauce that's named after it, to my mind doesn't have a particularly attractive smell, can't bear it. So vinegar would definitely be on my hit list. The image in my head now is of at dinner time in the Ricketts household, but Mrs Ricketts, she's just fixed eyes with you and she's pouring more and more and more vinegar on to see how much she'll put up with until eventually... <laughs> I'm virtually leaving the room. Exactly. I think. Yeah. Well, what, what are your two biggies, Russell? Well, I mock you, but my concerns are even more parochial than vinegar, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, anybody who spends as much time as I do phoning up press officers on short deadlines at yeah. charities, but also inside government, at local government, anywhere else, every journalist in the country will tell you this. You phone up, you have a very nice chat, you spend five minutes explaining in polite detail what it is that you're after, and at the end of the five minutes, the press officer says, oh, can you put it into an email? What have you been doing <laughs> during the five minutes? Have you not written anything down? Have you not got a pen? When I said, like, what's the name of your new chief executive, did you not think you could probably just record that for yourself and get the answer without me giving you a sort of paper trail to go through um so i would i would ban that i'm not sure how i'd enforce it but i'd find a way um i'm also as a finance reporter baffled this happens all the time you get companies house will publish the um accounts of say a hundred million pound a year charity and you'll phone at the press office the next day with a couple of points to clarify and they'll say there's no one available to talk about that <laughs> it's it's once a year 
It is hundreds of millions of pounds in donations from little old ladies who are like sustaining your organisation, maybe over more than a century. And when it comes to the day when I have one question about something on page 75, you say, well, our press office is mainly on holiday at the moment. Marks and Spencers don't do this. Like when they have quarterly results out on the FT phones to find something out, they don't all say, oh, we had no idea you were going to call. We've actually gone on an away day. We're playing croquet somewhere. But <laughs> um, but charities don't seem to apply that logic. So uh, my two changes, because my life is very narrow, are to my job to make it ever so slightly easier. That's all right. Do you think that'll get you re-elected at the end of your term? <laughs> <laughs> and what actually policy are you going to change? You're just going to make press officers do their job? I mean, we should point out at this point that we do work with a large number of press officers who are outstanding at their job, and we don't want to be burning our bridges by upsetting all of them out. Of I'll, I'll go one further now. I was a press officer for eight years before yeah. I jumped the fence. I started writing and talking to press officers on the other side, so I genuinely have quite a lot of sympathy. Some of my best friends are press officers, <laughs> but at the same time, if they decide to go on holiday the day that I want to phone them up, they will never be forgiven, and I'll bring the full force of the law against them. <laughs> Could you put that in an email? <laughs> The Charity Commission this week updated its work on responding to bullying and harassment in the sector. The regulator has been working alongside charities and other experts to clarify the role everyone has in this work, from individual charities, to sector leaders, to the Commission itself, to government and to other specialists. Holly Riley, Head of Strategic Policy at the Charity Commission, and Julie Dennis, Head of Diversity and Inclusion at the Conciliatory Service ACAS, joined us to tell us more. Well, Holly and Julie, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for joining us. Could you start just by telling us what exactly you've done, Holly, at the Commission on this subject? So in 2019, Akivo had issued the In Plain Sight report. And within that, they called for the Commission to kind of be a bit clearer on our position on um, bullying and harassment. And so we've been kind of working with the sector about what that means. And um, last year, we pulled together a working group, which there was a range of different stakeholders, both from the charity sector and more broadly, to look at what we can do. Because um, obviously tackling bullying, there's a role for the commission, but a role across the charity sector. So we were keen to bring everybody together. Um, but the thing we're sort of uh, keen to clarify today is just around when the commission will take action, what we will do and kind of what our role is so that people understand when the commission as the regulator of charities will step in and when we see it kind of more sitting with um, charities or with other organisations such as ACAS or other parties. So Holly, what difference would a charity see as a result of this work if trustees were thinking about escalating any questions about bullying to the commission now? Uh, what impact will this work have had for them? I think it's it's sort of a why not um, answer that the call had been made by the sector and we're always keen to be responsive and alive to issues as they come forward. Um, and it, as Akivo kind of raised it with us, we were keen to work in a collaborative way to, to tackle the issue. I think at the Commission, we were keen to ensure that it was a whole sector approach. Um, it's clear that we don't have all the answers. We, we as the Commission and the regulator are not going to stop or be able to respond to every act of, of bullying and harassment. Therefore, it was really key for us to be kind of collaborative and, and move forward on it, but also really key for us to be able to respond to the calls of the sector where they'd said to us, you should do more in this area. We're really keen to be able to do that. And what about ACAS's role in this whole exercise, Julie? 
So ACAS ourselves, um, we're obviously a government organisation that provides free and impartial advice to employers and uh, employees on conflict at work. Uh, so we're the leading organisation that advise organisations and we were really privileged when we got uh, approached by the Charity Commission to be part of this work. So our role was to just give that sounding board on what advice we give to other organisations on how to handle conflict at work, whatever that looks like, and making sure that the, the guidance that the Charity Commission is going to be doing fits in with those guidelines that ACAS uh, work by. And Holly, can you talk us a little bit through the way the partnership with charities has worked and who's in the group and how the issues have been raised and discussed and so on? Yeah, so the group is, a we're kind of co-chair it, but the chair um, moved around the different attendees. We wanted to have sort of sector organisations, so Akiva and NCVO, but also people that aren't necessarily fully embedded in the charity sector. So obviously kind of ACAS and, and, and Protect and the Diana Awards and things. So it was, and the Centre for Mental Health, I think, um, offered a really different perspective on different things that we should think about and consider as we go forward. So um, the idea was also very much around the commission doesn't have all the answers on all of this and nor should it. So we wanted to make sure that the commission could use our voice and our convening power to um, get the best advice out to people who needed it. So it may be that people come to the commission but the right thing to do is for us to um, signpost them towards ACAS. And we want to be able to do that. So it was a very kind of uh, informal and collaborative atmosphere within the group. I think we had structured meetings, but also a lot done between the meetings to kind of pull together what we should be doing, how it should be done and who's best to kind of lead on that. So you would have different organisations stepping forward at different times. So Julie's experience with ACAS, Unison also um, attended and obviously have a key part to play in how they deal with kind of employees and, and things like that. But then I say Akiva and NCVO, the, the charity sector is unique in some ways in the way it has volunteers and um, trustees, you know, the kind of roles that people play and the power dynamics. It's really key that we understand and reflect that as well. Um, so I think it, it, it's a really, um, it was a really exciting project, I think, because it's, it's sort of a, a new way of the commission working with the sector in that way and everybody coming together, everybody having a kind of different role um, and to kind of move forward for the good of the sector so that everybody understands what they can do in order to tackle any bullying and harassment that that kind of exists. And if a charity trustee came to the commission tomorrow um, to try and get some help and advice resolving these sorts of issues, what, what changes might that trustee see as a result of this work? The changes aren't significant. This is about clarifying the position that we would take. I think one of the calls that was made is that people weren't clear what would happen. Therefore, um, in an already distressing situation, it can cause more concern. So I think if somebody comes to us, there's a range of different options that we as the Commission have. So it's not that we always jump to a statutory inquiry on any topic and particularly bullying and harassment. The things that we're particularly concerned about is where it's seen that the bullying is um, widespread or systematic, 
where it leads to kind of governance issues and um, indicates potential mismanagement. But it may be that um, kind of advice and guidance is the way forward. And a lot of the sort of workplace guidance that's out there through ACAS, Protect, Unison, it's right that people follow those things. We want to empower trustees to tackle these issues. It shouldn't be that the commission is kind of the first port of call. But obviously, we're always... um, we're always there to kind of take action on a risk-based approach if we feel that it's necessary. And I guess there is that sort of fine line for the regulator to tread. We have had numerous cases over the years of people coming to us at Third Sector saying that they wanted to get the commission involved in an individual bullying case and maybe they've been disappointed that the regulators decided against that what would you say to those people who do want to see the regulator involved because maybe they're frustrated that they can't get action locally and they almost see the commission as the point of last resort yeah and i can understand i can kind of understand their point you know it's a it's a really challenging personal and an emotive topic and and i understand their point of view. I think it's important to remember that we're a kind of risk-based regulator with a focus on charity governance. And and so those kind of um, concerns around it being widespread or systematic leading to governance issues or potential mismanagement are really kind of the key ones that we prioritise our involvement around risk of harm. And that's not to say that any instance of bullying or harassment doesn't have a risk of harm but we um we have a kind of strict risk framework in which we assess that the way forward but i think to kind of if trustees feel that it is appropriate to kind of tell us and it builds a picture of mismanagement or governance issues within a charity we would always empower the trustees to come forward and and raise a kind of serious incident um, in sort of a, a regulatory serious incident form and tell us that these things are happening because it might we might not take the action that they want us to, but we're always interested, if that makes sense. I'd also like to add, obviously, you know, if, if there is an individual within a, a charity that, that feels that they haven't been heard or their complaint hasn't been taken seriously, they also have the option where they can phone the ACAS helpline, which is a free service and our helpline advisors will guide them as to what steps they they want to take they may want to use early conciliation so that's where ACAS would step in so it may not be something that's as serious for the commission to get involved in but if it's something that you know is causing distress for that individual they feel that their grievance hasn't been taken seriously then they do have that that statutory route uh, to come to ACAS to talk to our helpline and then our helpline advisors would guide them on the right approach to take. It's such a good example of why the collaborative approach was really important because actually sometimes ACAS and other organisations are are better placed to kind of resolve these issues and take them forward and support people, the commission. So that's why it was it was so key for us to be collaborative and work together in order to kind of have a whole sector approach to this challenge. And there's obviously sort of two competing parts to this in a way, aren't there? There's the individual cases that Andy and I will hear about, and sometimes you at the commission and ACAS will as well. But there's also sort of an attempt to quantify the problem. How big is this? How much does the Charity Commission know about it i mean would you be able to tell us how many open cases or inquiries the commission has open at the moment where bullying or bullying policies are part of the focus i think it's back to the sort of 
the range of options we have open. So it's not necessarily how many cases we have or things like that, because actually people might phone up and we give advice or guidance and that isn't a kind of case or a statutory inquiry. Um, And therefore, it's a kind of the range of options we have available to us. And also people may use guidance on our website. So in that sense, it's not kind of logged in the same way, but they're still approaching the commission for help and things. It's also important to remember that increased reporting is good. Like I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing that more people are coming forward and and highlighting instances and um, the issues behind it because it does enable us to kind of make those changes. So it's I'm keen that it's not about like numbers of cases we have because I don't think that gives the full story of A, what's happening out there and B, what we as the regulator are kind of doing in that space. And Julie, from ACAS's point of view, what advice would you have for trustees who are looking to handle and resolve bullying concerns? So firstly, what I want to say is, you know, experiencing harassment and bullying is really, you know, emotionally and distressing for any worker involved. Uh, So it really means that the employer should make reporting such a matter as stress-free as possible. And in most cases, this could involve really simple things as just making sure there's plenty of time for that individual to discuss what they need to, and also finding a a private space for them to meet. It's also important to say that anyone who harasses or bullies someone at work is actually responsible for their own actions. But as an employer, you can be responsible under vicarious liability. So you should really be doing all you can do to prevent and stop bullying harassment at work. There's also this aspect of duty of care where you've got that duty of care to look after the well-being of your employees. Uh, And if you don't do this, you know, sometimes you may get someone will feel that they've got no choice but to resign. And because of that, you could face a claim of constructive dismissal. So, you know, the first thing we'd say at ACAS is you really need to look at any complaint of bullying or harassment uh, seriously. Uh, because if you don't, it could be raised formally as a grievance uh, later or it could lead to an employment tribunal. So all complaints themselves should be handled consistently in line with whatever policy that you've got in place. And if you've not got a policy in place, then I think that's the first thing you need to be doing. Uh, And also making sure whatever policies and procedures that you do have in place, they follow the Discipline and Grievance ACAS Code of Practice, which can be found on our website. Um, We do have plenty of guidance on the ACAS website, but there's a few key steps I would say that you need to take when you're handling a complaint. So first of all, talk to the person about the issue. This will help you understand what the issue is and also what you can do or how they'd like you to try and resolve it. If you can't decide from that conversation which approach you want to take, then you might have to decide which is the best one. Uh, And if you are in doubt, we would advise uh, to deal with it formally. But most importantly, if you can try and deal with it informally, that is the best way. We know at ACAS, that's the best way to resolve conflict. It's really important as well to make sure that that individual has got support throughout whatever process you take. So make sure you signpost them to what support you've got. So you may have an employer assistance programme 
or uh, a bullying harassment ambassador within your organisations or trade union or employee reps, and that would include staff networks who can offer advice and support to that individual. Or if it's a more complicated form of harassment or bullying, you may want to use an external organisation or charity that specialises in that type of uh, behaviour. Also, keep it in mind that, you know, it's really hard for someone to speak about this because, you know, they'll obviously be upset by what they've experienced or witnessed. It could have been happening for a long time. They could have uh, something that's affecting their mental health. We know at ACAS that, you know, persistent bullying does have an impact on an individual's mental well-being. And, you know, they may also be really worried about what will happen to the person who's been bullying them or what will happen to them because they've been brave enough to speak out and, and, and talk about what's happening to them. Most importantly as well is making sure that their complaint is handled confidentially and reassure them that, that it will be handled confidentially. Now, of course, there may be situations at work where harassment could be a crime. Uh, so, for example, you could have that employee telling you that they've been physically attacked or sexually attacked uh, or assaulted, or they've been a victim of a hate crime such as racism or homophobia, or they've been threatened with violence. So, again, you need to talk to the individual about what steps they might want you to do or they may want to do to report it to the police and what support you will give them. But before you do that, you know, get special advice consider getting legal advice but also don't put pressure on that individual you know matter how, matter how bad it is what that person's telling you don't pressurize them to say I think you need to go to the police it should still be the individual who's coming forward who drives that conversation who drives that action uh, but make sure that they'll be supported also once the complaint's been dealt with it's really important to then keep an eye on the issue to ensure that that unacceptable behaviour or treatment has stopped, that nobody's been treated unfairly because they've made a complaint or if any witnesses have come forward that they've been treated unfairly because if you don't and something happens, that could be seen as victimisation under the Equality Act. How detailed, um, Julie, about trustees kind of drawing up policies to cover bullying, how detailed do you think they should be you know do they need to sort of cover every sort of cough and spit or is it better if they're broad so they can give more room for maneuver so again our website gives some templates as to what a good uh policy would look like but again it's about you know what is the process you know how will complaints be handled um start off with that informal process how will we deal with that uh, also putting mediation in the process as well because again we know uh, at ACAS that mediation helps so you know you may deal with an informal uh, resolution but actually mediation is probably more effective getting the two parties in the room to have that conversation um, the policy will also cover what will happen if you go through that formal procedure. Some organisations will have a form that people can fill in where they can put what has happened and and if they've tried to resolve it previously to raising it formally. Um, the policy should also uh, you know, put in there about uh, what support is available. So like I said earlier on, you know, if you've got EAP or your trade union, um, we'll have stuff around uh, if witnesses and if complainants are you know if they want to be uh, accompanied because you know workers have that right to be accompanied either by a trade union 
a representative or a colleague or a friend when they're going to speak about the complaint and then also the policy will talk about on what would happen next so it doesn't need to be really detailed you know if the more information you put in there actually you might end up tying yourself in knots so it's basically you know what is the process how can we help you to make that behavior stop because you know that is the key thing that uh, the individual wants i mean i've seen some fantastic policies uh, in organizations where you know they're this big glossy document and it's not until page seven that you actually find out how do i make a complaint so you know make sure that that is really high up if you're going to do a document about bullying harassment and how you'll handle it make sure that really on that first page it's clear for that individual how do i make a complaint because all that person wants is for that behavior to stop and what can you do to help me to stop that and if somebody wants to contact the ACAS service to get some help with a bullying complaint is there any sort of prerequisites or any cost attached to that kind of thing no no so it's a free uh service uh and like i say our helpline is open Monday to Friday uh, and then also there's our website as well that has some fantastic advice and guidance uh, for people and also provides links to other organisations should it be a more bespoke thing that they're, they're wanting to uh, find advice on. Great well Julie Dennis and Holly Riley thanks very much for your time. Each week, we bring you our Good News Bulletin, full of the positive or quirky news stories we've spotted in the sector. Would you like to hear some good news about an Oxfam bookshop? Oh, yes, I would, Russell. What have um, we got? What a relief, because if you didn't, I was going to bang on anyway. <laughs> uh, there, this week, we learnt that an Oxfam bookshop in Stirling, in Scotland, mm-hmm. uh, came by a first edition of Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. Now... Not only is that an extraordinary, pretty special find, but store manager Neil Patson, who talked to his local paper about this, is also a bit of an expert on ancient books. So he immediately was telling the paper that he knew more or less what he had in his hands and what his value was, which is added value from your average Oxfam store manager. (laughs) So exactly the right person to come by this. They've had the book valued and they reckon it could be worth to the charity anything between £600 and £800, which is nothing to be sniffed at. Not bad at all. Um, Although, when you dig a little deeper, it turns out other... First editions like this have gone for more than £4,000. But in this case, someone has torn out some of the pages from the original copy before giving it to the charity and thereby like stripped three grand off what could go to a good cause. Um, So I hope they find that person as well. And we do know a little bit about the donor, the person who dropped this in. Um, This is what Mr. Patterson uh, said at the time. It was a middle-aged lady with one half-full carrier bag of mainly very tatty, tired, mid-to-late Victorian fiction, unknown authors, completely forgotten authors i like the value judgment in there as well he was like well everyone's a literary critic i thought most of this was rubbish um but you ask yourself did the person know that she was dropping off something that might be a little bit special mr patson thinks so as she handed the bag over she had a glint in her eyes he told the paper as she said there's one or two special things in there I think she knew perfectly well what she was handing over. Oh, isn't that good? That's a great. And what a sort of a starring role in that story. You go in, you hand over a bag, you hint it might be worth hundreds of pounds, and then you leave again. Yeah, it's like guerrilla good deeds. Exactly. We should have a section in this podcast about guerrilla good deeds. (laughs) All right. Well, listen, talking of good deeds. Not gorillas. (laughs) 
we want to make that very clear. Um, I've got a story about the comedian Bill Bailey, who's very much not a gorilla, who has raised more than £100,000 for Macmillan Cancer Support in memory of his good friend, the comedian Sean Locke, who died last year. Bailey has raised more than £100,000 for the charity by doing a 100-mile walk for the charity alongside Lee Mack, another comedian friend, and some of Sean Locke's loved ones. He's walked from Bude in Cornwall and finished in Coombe Martin in Devon all the way along the coastal path. And yeah, he's raised more than £100,000, which is uh, very good going. If you want to donate to Bill Bailey, we can put a link in the show notes. But thank you to him. And Macmillan Cancer Support is £100,000 better off thanks to his good deeds. That's pretty fantastic. I'm going to say Bill Bailey. I don't like him so much as a comedian. Sean Locke, I always thought was very funny. Um, Andy, your favourite comedian? Why are you being horrible? No, I'm not being horrible. I think what he's done done is magnificent. But if you said I had to spend, say, £35 on a ticket to go and see Bill Bailey... I'd, I'd go out and have a pasta dinner somewhere instead. Oh, I think he's great. And he's a very fine musician, which yes. in my books definitely puts him up in my estimation. Who's my favourite? I haven't got one. What about you? <laughs> <laughs> um, I saw Dylan Moran live, um, oh God, 18 years ago now, um, in, when I lived in Cambridge. And he was extremely funny right up until the last 20 minutes when he was basically so drunk he couldn't stand up anymore. And that wasn't so funny. I, f- I felt like I wanted to get you know, sort of that 20 minutes worth of my money back um, because the chit-chat wasn't that good. But the first bit, very good indeed. So Dylan Moran. Excellent. We'll be back with another episode soon. In the meantime, make sure you subscribe to the Third Sector podcast on your favourite podcast app to be the first to know about it. Until then, I'm Andy Ricketts. I'm Russell Hargrave. Thank you to our guests, Holly Riley and Julie Dennis. And of course, our producer, Aidan Lyons at Rethink Audio. We'll see you next week.